0: voice of fintech the insurtech series by voice of fintech is brought to you by the house of insurtech switzerland hits hits is a Generali company that spun off in december 2019 it all started in 2017 when Generali switzerland opened the innovation garage to experiment with its corp up approach a corporate and startups co-creating customer-centric solutions together The success of the Innovation Garage led to the birth of HITS in order to offer innovation as a service not only for Generali, but also to other corporates. HITS envisions to be a leading InsureTech hub by shaping and nurturing partnerships between corporates and startups to accelerate and scale corporate innovation. If you would like to learn more about HITS, please go to www.houseofinsuretech.ch. You can also follow HITS on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube.
1: Hello and welcome to Voice of Vintech. Today, we're joined by Mark Gruber, who is the Vice President of Innovation and a Professor of Entrepreneurship and Technology Commercialization at EPFL in Lausanne. And uh, we're going to talk about innovation, of course, Mark's latest book, which is called Where to Play, focusing on the conflict between getting to the market first and reality that uh, many startups end up pivoting in any case And uh, therefore, how do you reconcile it? And do you have the tools to do it profitably? And uh, also, we will talk about the implications of that book for the insurance, insurtech and fintech sectors. And uh, we then will also compare the scene in uh, Switzerland and, and abroad. So, welcome, Mark. How are you today?
2: Lovely. Thank you very much for hosting me on that show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: So, Mark, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how did you get interested in innovation?
2: I'm here, as you said, vice president for innovation at EPFL, that's the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne. We are the sister institution of ETH in Zurich, and therefore two of the technological innovators' uh, powerhouses, if you want to say so, in, in Switzerland. And I'm still a professor for, for entrepreneurship technology commercialization. So the idea, the notion of innovation is really something that is uh, deep in the fabric of what I'm doing in my daily practical work as a vice president, but also in my research work where I'm trying to uh, understand uh, more robust patterns about, uh, on innovation, how you can be more uh, successful in innovation, uh, the right mindsets that you need to have, etc. Uh, and And... You know, you asked me what, why I'm intrigued by this. And and I think um on the one hand, being a, a scholar, professor, someone who does research is is an is, is intriguing profession. But someone who does research on innovation in a way is, is is even more intriguing. Why? Because you are not only studying the new, you know, as a researcher you always should push the new frontier, but you mm-hmm innovation you know which is a constantly moving target you know and and that's where you're not only pushing the frontier of the new but you're trying to understand how the frontier of the new is pushed you know so so in that sense it's it's one of the most pleasant jobs one can have honestly because you you're always dealing with novel findings changing landscapes and uh, and as you know in the fintech insurtech industry you know with, with very new business models uh, startups that are challenging the incumbents and that's just a very fascinating turf to maneuver in.
1: Right, so how does it work at EPFL? I know you host a lot of events on innovation, things like that, but in practical terms, what's your team's mandate?
2: So we are trying to be a catalyst for innovation, basically helping uh, all the technologies that are on the campus to be commercialized, to be brought on the market for, for financial purposes, value creation in the conventional sense, but also for impact in a social and sustainability sense. And then therefore, you know, connect basically EPFL very strongly through the economic tissue of Switzerland and abroad. We have, for instance, 26 large companies that are on the campus and and have the innovation cells. We have about 170 startups, and that makes for an extremely vibrant ecosystem of innovation. And how I work is is to, I'm, I'm, I'm somehow like a conductor. I orchestrate a lot of things. You know, innovation happens not only with one element, it doesn't only, you know, your campus or the ecosystem doesn't become innovative just by flying in Elon Musk for a day,
1: you know. Right.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of different things from from supporting schemes in terms of financial support, bringing the right people together, up to ideation, hackathon events, uh, and have inspiring speakers. You know, it's 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 all the keys of the pianos uh, that need to be played in order to to sing the innovation song, if you want to say so.
1: And of course, you know, as a scholar, you have to write and you have to do the research. And uh, you co-authored the book, which is called Where to Play, which focuses on the issue of the need to focus on a single market, getting there fast. And as I said earlier, uh, versus the reality of the most startups pivoting anyway. So can you share some of the key points of the book with the audience?
2: Yes. So so it's a book co-authored with my colleague Sharon Tal out of uh, Israel, out of Technion, one of the leading tech schools there. And I've been, I've been doing since about 20 years research on this topic and trying to figure out how startup how any type of company can identify new business opportunities and become systematic about that. Because oftentimes it's seen as a haphazard, as a chance process. Oh, I stumbled upon this opportunity. I had this idea while being in the shower, et cetera, et cetera. But this, this is not very practical from, from managerial terms. You, know, you cannot send all your employees into the shower or the, all the <laughs> C-suite into the shower. So from that perspective, I am always was intrigued uh, by the question how can we develop a capability in opportunity identification and exploitation and this is work that i've been uh, starting to do with ian macmillan who's one of the masterminds in the entrepreneurship domain uh, one of my my key mentors and then later on i uh, with sharon who was a is a very talented phd student back then uh, we, we pursued that path trying to really map out the, the secrets or success recipes of those companies that that get it right and we collected data from thousands and thousands of companies that Then uh, after a while, we said, "Hey, we have all these great research studies. Companies start asking us for the insights. Let's let's write a book that is practical." You know, and we spent then. We first initially thought it, it takes us three months to to write a book because we have all the data and everything in terms of information. But it actually took us three years, which was an exciting journey. But but we are very proud of the. Wow. It's, it's still an, an interesting uh, journey because it's the book was recently adopted by Steve Blank uh, into the Lean Startup toolset, probably the most important innovation toolset that's out there. And that was uh, fantastic because it's it's a book that was created here in Israel and it makes, makes it in Silicon Valley. That's always a dream.
1: Right. So is it a book for beginner entrepreneurs, academics or for a wider audience? Who is your target audience with this book?
2: Actually, it's quite interesting because the book is uh, for 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 innovators and entrepreneurs. That's the target audience. But the book, and I will be, explain a bit later on what the content is. But but it's essentially you know it's it's also for the for the teachers at at uh, different levels of from from gymnasium up to to universities who want to and um, make uh, their pupils their students understand what entrepreneurship is, incubators. Uh. And then again, what I was interesting, I, I was doing an interview with a journalist, and he said, "Look, he." He is not a tech entrepreneur, nothing like that. But he can he applied the book, The Method, to his own competences because that's the central element in the book, trying to understand the versatility, the fungibility of your own competences. And he said, hey, I, I applied it to myself, and I figured out that I can be much more than, quote, unquote, just a journalist. And, and that was revealing to me because, in a way, I... You can almost say I I wrote a self-help book, which which is interesting as a as a business school professor. But uh the, the self-help book in that sense uh, is truly one because you 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 can the book helps you basically to figure out what your core competence, your core abilities are and where they may be might be needed. And and that's a that's a key skill that every human being should have. So so the short answer is it's 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 for all the constituencies you named above, it's its also for the broader, broader population.
1: Right. Understood. I mentioned that before from your research, it came out that more than 70% of the startups end up pivoting and doing something else that they originally wanted. On the other hand, they need to get to the market first and beat the others. So uh, how can they, how can they do that at all?
2: So if you look at that number of more than 70%, it's in fact, 73%, uh, that's what Sharon's thesis has, has uh, shown. This is a remarkable number from for variety of, of perspectives. Why? Um, number one, you know, maybe there's a way to reduce the 73 percent pivoting need to another market, and that's of course one one big goal. The other uh, big goal would be to say, hey, even if you have to pivot, maybe we can make it less painful because it's a very painful activity and and causes time. You, know, cause you spend money on it. You you it causes worry. It it wastes time, etc. If you all of, of these two uh, these thoughts, you can say, hey, maybe we can do something about it. And that's where our research kicks in, because we actually saw that when you are a bit more careful in trying to understand the features of the target market and are able to see alternatives, you can actually make a, make a more informed choice about this extremely important decision. What is your first target market? And number two, uh, by being a bit more informed early on, what you can do is to bake uh, what what we call agility into the DNA of of, of the startup. Uh, you can think about pivoting options ex ante. You can create, for instance, a brand, brand name that allows you to be more versatile and doesn't really link you to one domain only. And there are lots of things that you can do ex ante before or while you're in the early stages of creating a startup that, that will make your startup or your innovative projects more more flexible. And. And, and this together, you know, trying to figure out early on whether the target market that you're looking at has actually good properties, the, it has the fertile ground uh, that, that is needed, and to bake agility into the startup by thinking of plan Bs or future growth options in the positive sense helps a tremendous lot. And, and we have received fantastic feedback from startups, but likewise from, from larger companies who adopt the method and say, hey. We cannot waste, we don't want to waste so much money in, in innovation. We're wasting anyway a lot, you know, because it's, it's not a predictable game. So we are at least, you know, here we are more cognizant about key factors that, that matter in startup and, and innovation project.
1: Right. I understand that you call your approach or the tool to, the, to this problem market opportunity navigator. So can you explain how this market opportunity navigator complements or challenges the, the, the traditional tools like the business model canvas or the Lean Startup methodology? How does that all fit together?
2: Actually, this, these, these tools fit fit very nicely together. And together, they are creating even more value than the tools, each tool by itself. And And that was actually picked up by Steve Blank, uh, the person who's behind the Lean Startup uh, tool set uh, about a year ago in a blog post when he when he read the, the book by Sharon and me. And he said, hey. Actually, that's that's a neat, uh, an important addition to to what the tools that exist already out there can do. You know, and the tools that are typically referred to, you mentioned them. You know, it's the business model canvas it helps you to understand how to develop a business model for a chosen domain. Yeah, uh, the, then it's about customer discovery within that domain. It's about finding a, a minimum viable product that helps you to understand what product features uh, the customer prefers. You know, so you're working on product market fit. But if you think about these questions that have been traditionally addressed by uh, these tools, um, they are questions that are within one domain. However, the question where actually if this domain is, is a good starting point at all, you know, is this the best domain you could be in, is not at all addressed. And, and actually, if you look at the broader Literature, Mm -hmm. strategic management, uh, you know, there's for the longest time people have said, look, markets and industries differ in attractiveness. Let's figure out a a good domain, you know, in in more layman terms, you can say, hey, not all domains are created equally fertile for startup or innovation projects, you know. And if you can figure out, you know, at at least a couple of features of domains early on and, and try to understand if one or the other domain is better, you can, you know, decrease the likelihood of having to pivot and you you know, by having a larger view early on, can um, also create more agility for, for your venture
1: project. All right. So can you paint the picture? How does one use your navigator?
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's actually quite a straightforward three-step process. And, uh, it took us quite a while to figure out uh, how to portray uh, all the research insights that we have in a way that is both true to the Research results, we wanted to have a tool that actually corresponds to what we see in the research, because from the research, we know that it improves the success of uh, ventures and innovation projects, number one. So we wanted to have a tool that is simple, but not simplistic. And second, we wanted to have a tool that is also visually appealing. You know? So we basically created a tool that has three main uh, process steps. Uh, it's called the market opportunity navigator. In the first step, uh, which is, you know, all the three steps are depicted as, as small boxes but the first step is, is a little shopping bag as a box where you basically collect uh, all the ideas opportunities that you possibly can see the second step is uh, about evaluation it helps you to understand uh, we call it the attractiveness map uh, we have, it helps you uh, to understand which opportunities are better than others uh, the third step is about focusing we call it the agile focus dartboard we call it agile focus because we know that we have to focus you know as in, in the startup world because you cannot do too many things but what is different and important here is that it's agile focus it means you are focusing on your main uh, domain however you are having plan b's and a future growth option in your head so you can Navigate your startup more dynamically. And and when we showed this to VCs, they just love this because it de-risks the whole uh, venture creation process and it helps to communicate very well what you want to do and why you want to do it and that you're actually not a one-trick pony. And, and can do many more, more things as a startup than you might have initially thought.
1: Right. Can you share any success stories of the startups that that been using your tool, and obviously especially the fintech or intratech, if if possible?
2: Absolutely. So we have uh, so far, this is like uh, we we have seen it adopted by by ventures uh, of all kinds of sizes across all industries. From uh, large companies have adopted it uh, in the German Ducks, in the Nasdaq, etc. And what the, what the common denominator is typically that it's the tool is, is useful for getting to the right mindset. If you think, for instance, about Uber, Uber does not really care about industry boundaries. They move in an arena. So Uber says, okay, we are a taxi company, but we are also a food delivery company and a tourism company because we move people around in a tourism fashion in Napa Valley from one vineyard to the other. And these are growth patterns that be that are building on a perspective which is my colleague Rita McGrath calls the arena perspective and and with these types of growth patterns in mind you can use the navigator first to to understand have the right mindset to say okay where can we grow but then it also helps you to to look at the the importance of, of different options and when you think about this you know this is something when when you look at startups and the concrete projects you ask for when when I work with startups uh, and, and and I just worked one with in the AI domain a service venture there the first revelation where the entrepreneur came back to me, he said, look, I realized that I can do any, many more things than I, I thought I could do. You know, I'm I'm not locked into one opportunity only. There's actually a handful, if not more opportunities. And some of them are even more attractive, more promising than the one I thought I would uh, think is promising. So the person now comes back to me, uh, you know, gives me lots of, of, of insights, uh, about how he continues to apply the navigator to make his company even stronger. And if you move it now to the banking and insurance in- industry, you know, this mindset question, that's why I've been explaining it a bit, is of fundamental importance. Why? Just take the normal bank as an example. The bank thinks of about itself oftentimes as, as a financial service provider, which is the, the normal way of thinking about a bank. Yeah?
1: yeah.
2: However, if you if you would remove yourself and say, hey, actually a bank is not a financial service provider but it's a trust service provider yeah and this is what i mean with mindset now if you think about this you you can say i zoom out i try to understand how i can offer services within the trust domain Yeah, you know, people entrust me their money so I'm, I'm i'm a trust provider this doesn't mean i need to let low, lose of my my financial service uh, leg you know this, this this is still solid but maybe i can de- develop a second or a third leg to my company which is the broader domain of trust services, and then you are immediately thinking about well, trust. It has to do with insurances. so There is potential to collaborate with insurances, but then there is also trust that is needed for for collaboration in the digital age. Maybe if we have to store our DNA somewhere, the bank might be a good provider for for these types of trust services because you know you might or might not want to have your your DNA stored by the pharma companies. Okay, I think at the at the very basis and what is so where I get the most feedback where people say hey that was a I don't want to say life-changing event but, but at least business changing event is, is the perspective on what your company is and what it can potentially do and I think if you think about fintech and insurtech companies yes they are in their domains they might have a particular solution you know recommender system for for ultra high net worth people whatever is out there okay yet you know you can say hey actually this is only one application domain maybe we are not "Quote unquote, only a fintech company, but maybe we are a trust tech company. And and fin is one application. Insure is another application, and there might be three, four others. So we are actually building a growth platform, and and can be much more and probably you know, also more create more value than than in a single domain.
1: Okay, I start to understand it now that uh, you're talking about basically uh, having a broader mindset, right? And don't be bogged down by the labels and the buckets
2: you summarize it nicely and it's it's what we call you know in our research we have called it early on as the entrepreneurial mindset you know that's that's one of the key features of what we uh, we've seen as as in trademarks of, of really really good entrepreneurs
1: but if you look in the industries and you know we try to dive in a little bit and uh, you hear a lot about fintech right and uh, we have big mm-hmm. hubs in switzerland in zurich and in lausanne and FinTech perhaps is quite prominent, more prominent in Zurich. InsurTech is is a little bit less visible. So, what is your view on the state of innovation in the insurance sector?
2: I think the insurance sector is is uh, there's actually a very vibrant innovation scene from both from startups, but I think also the, the established companies. And what what's quite remarkable is that they are uh, have started to embrace AI, machine learning. A couple of years ago, and, and we're only seeing the first fruits of their uh, endeavors now. And in a way, if in retrospect, it's not surprising, you know, that, that that's where, where innovation studies come in, that we we see those industries being uh, affected by AI machine learning first, because it's they are built on mathematics. You know, they are built on numbers. And and of course, this makes them ripe candidates for for disruption with machine learning and AI. So in that perspective, we are still Think in the early stages of disruption in that domain, there will be much, much more AI, if not <laughs> most of, uh, in the end, AI being AI-based in insurance. And but this does not mean, you know, that you, they, they, they these, uh, these companies can say, hey, we are insurance companies. Maybe it's the, the need for redefinition also on that front, because you know, if uh, if the likes of, of Facebook and others. Uh, come into the domain and say, hey, we can also insure you because we know your profiles very well. And, and if you look at the apps that some of the insurances have launched, try to do exactly that, get to know you better and your your, your personal habits. But that's data that Facebook also has, you know. So, so maybe they have to rethink and say, hey, we are not insurance companies anymore. Maybe we are companies that are that have a couple of legs where insurance is one, but by knowing our customers so well, where we can also team up with the health sector and and actually become health healthcare providers.
1: Many entrepreneurs or investors claim that you cannot learn entrepreneurship in a school. So, what's your view on this? I guess I know where you're coming from, obviously being an academic. <laughs> but uh, what would you tell to them if they were, you know, with us today?
2: Obviously, I've heard that claim multiple times. But it's like, look, it's a, it's a normal distribution, you know, and some people always believe that they are great at entrepreneurship because you know they also grow up in a family that has been entrepreneur been entrepreneurs, etc. They don't need to have education or an exposure to entrepreneurship. But a school setting can have a very profound effect on the outlook of people, what they think what they think they can do and where they think they are strong. And I think giving them the inspiration to try entrepreneurship, giving them the skills teaching them, you know, what type of skill, you know, the business skills, financial skills, et cetera, are needed. You know, and by the way, also for these entrepreneurs who are thinking that, that they are the born entrepreneurs, they need these skills too. try to run a, a company without a understanding what a cash flow is. Yeah? But what we can do is to wake up the students. And if you think about this as a normal distribution, there's a sizable chunk who, who could potentially become great entrepreneurs. But similar, like if, if you have never given a record to, to Roger Federer in his young time, uh, early days, You know, he might have never discovered that he's actually a great tennis player. You know, he might uh, do very different things nowadays. And it's similar with entrepreneurship. What we have seen repeatedly and repeatedly is that people might not come from a household where this is common or might even have been discouraged, uh, although they have great skills at this. And we are there to open their eyes, uh, refine their skill set, help them understand what what we have learned from research, uh, what the uh, successful entrepreneurs are doing the serial entrepreneurs, how they behave in comparison, for instance, to the right. new entrepreneurs. So in right. that sense, there's a lot we can do in teaching from waking up to, to, to helping them connect and also bringing them closer to, to VCs.
1: So following up on the soft stuff, though, in terms of culture, I mean, you spent uh, some time in the US, of course, at, at Wharton and in, in general, the EPFL is a very international school. So, uh, how does the entrepreneurship culture differ in Switzerland or Europe versus the u s or or asia?
2: I think in order to to understand this, one needs to look at culture but also in what areas we are traditionally strong at and uh, and those are not completely unrelated quite to the country. If you think about what Europe is strong in it's it's oftentimes deep tech you know in deep tech it has to be a lot of precision it has to be science it's engineering you know it's no wonder that some of the Biggest uh, companies in engineering and science are located here in Europe, and this is in the DNA of, of of Europe. And and when you think about this in science and engineering, and you are trying to develop, let's take a simpler cha- example, a, a new chair or a new table. You know, you want to make it proof. So that someone can sit on that table and this table doesn't crash. You know? So you always put safety margins in there 30, 40%. And, and that means, you know, in our culture is in a way this deep love for, yes, doing something new, but also it has to be solid. You know, it's science and engineering. And, and on the other hand, you know, when you think about the world of entrepreneurship, it's often, it's typically not, it's exactly not that, you know, you have to be going with a minimum viable product, it might sometimes fail, you are trying to improve it, you are learning with the customer. And these are all habits where, and I see it in my teaching, where we have to get the students to open up and say, hey, it doesn't have to be 150% uh, safety proof, it can, it, you can do with less, you know, and I think that's a, that's a cultural element that is uh, you know, typically uh, most prevalent in the science and engineering. And the second element is, is culture itself. You know, as Europeans, we often, you know, especially in Switzerland, it's not in our DNA, let's put it this way, to, to stick out, you know, and to be extraordinary. And, and in that sense, if you think about entrepreneurship, it's if you want to be a very successful entrepreneur, it's about sticking out and being different. In that sense, you know, it, it's the culture as such does not necessarily from from a natural perspective, favor these types of activities. However, what I've also seen in the last 20 years since I've been teaching here in Switzerland about entrepreneurship is a, a significant shift from the, from the outlook of students towards entrepreneurship. So in short, I see cultural
1: changes happening. Right, great. So, and so what are the next steps for you and for EPFL later this year or beyond?
2: There's always a couple of projects that I'm I'm pursuing. It's it's innovation. You never get you know you're not allowed to get rusty. But, you know it's, it's definitely you know still working with where to play the method. There. It's it's uh, it's getting uh, more and more traction by the day. You know we see uh, downloads from the website increasing rapidly, etc. So it's it's definitely a journey. With, with a book that will accompany me uh, still a couple of years. And it's super exciting to see a tool that you have developed being applied. And then on the research side, of course, you know, it's, it's lots of projects. You know, the crisis now creates new opportunities for research as well. I've been uh, for the long time also studying what, what we call necessity entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship by the unemployed. And, and I think uh, this is a topic that is uh, not only prevalent now in a crisis, but will become. Even more important when we think about people just dis- being displaced because they are no longer, you know, better than computers. You know, in terms of machine learning and, I- and I- AI, we will see very fundamental shifts in our workforce. And entrepreneurship is is one of the solutions.
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I just wanted to ask you also where can interested parties reach you, find out more about the book "Where to Play" or what you do in terms of innovation at EPFL.
2: Two, two websites to keep in mind. The one for the book is wheretoplay.co. That's wheretoplay.co. Basically, you register and you get the content for free. You get the worksheets. You get uh, videos. You get uh, case studies, etc. that help you understand the method. Uh, we have also an edX course for free where you can uh, basically learn the method. We educate you on how it works. And then the other website is my share website at, at EPFL. You just uh, type in into your browser, Mark Gruber, EPFL, and you find me immediately. And there you see all the research papers I've done. And you can also find a way to reach out to me if you want to get in touch for, for all kinds of purposes. I, I read my own emails and I'm, it's my pleasure to reply.
1: All right. Well, great. Thank you very much, Mark, again. Thank you very much, Rudy. It was a
2: pleasure to be with you and, and thanks for the interesting questions. This episode of InsureTech series by Voice of Fintech was brought to you by HITS, the House of InsureTech Switzerland. HITS is the innovation core-up hub focusing on the insure tech sector, bringing corporates and startups to develop customer-centric solutions. HITS creates the perfect environment to make innovation happen with early-stage investors and partners from the InsurTech tech sector. If you would like to learn more about HITS, join us at one of our InsureTech breakfasts every second Friday of the month. Happy to grab a virtual coffee with you.